Welcome to The Rot Focus, a podcast for writers, newbies, and veterans, and everyone in between. We're hosted by M.A. Lee, with the assistance of Remy Black and Edie Runes, all from Writers, Inc. Books. Our focus is productivity, process, craft, and tools. Each episode lasts as long as it takes to fix a quick dinner, grab a short commute, or take a brisk walk. Resources and links are in the show notes. Visit us at therockfocus.blogspot.com. Now, on to this week's episode. In this episode, we begin our in-depth analysis of the individual stages of the archetypal story pattern, the greatest plot structure for writers. Highly adaptable and flexible, the archetypal story pattern, or ASP, allows the creative muse to fly. Our focus is the first two stages, stage one, ordinary world, and stage two, call to adventure. With a deeper and richer analysis of each stage, Hopefully, writers will gain insights that were never before contemplated. Stage 1. Ordinary World. Seven questions to start. Here's a guiding quotation from Alphonse Kerr. Every man has three characters. That which he exhibits, that which he has, and that which he thinks he has. We start life as a tabula rasa. Then we transform ourselves as we mature. Who we are is not who we want to be and not who we should be. All of us struggle with a duality, our positive in conflict with our negativity. While we strive to improve, we are tugged to wallow in a morass. In Joseph Campbell's ancient monomyth, The Hero's Journey, did not just exhibit how an ordinary person became extraordinary. It also developed how a shallow community member became a strong individual, a leader who inspired others to change, to improve. The first stage of the hero's journey, the ordinary world, presents who we are before the transforming journey begins. Start with duality. Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit, my favorite token, is complacent and self-absorbed, content but certainly not satisfied, like us. He must be pushed and tempted into the journey, there and back again. Frodo, in Fellowship of the Ring, also Tolkien, certainly feels his dissatisfaction, but he lacks both the impetus and will to take the first brave steps alone. Thus, we have the necessity of his friends at the onset of the journey, each who will have their own individual transformations. A character's dual nature can be two sides of the personality, can be two sides of the genetic inheritance, as it is for Bilbo, or can be two of the tripartite self, as Plato divided us into the physical, intellectual, and spiritual soul. Our primary characters here at the beginning of their journey cannot be too flawed. They should not be so arrogant that the audience can't stand them. Any bad trait should be counterbalanced with a good trait. The ordinary world stage of the hero's journey, while brief, is necessary to show the unchanged primaries. Obviously, we writers must introduce our protagonist. Presentation of the other primaries is necessary only if their transformation is key to the protagonist. 
In The Hobbit film, Thorin Oakenshield's Ordinary World is presented in flashback, a story recounted in heroic fashion to Bilbo. The problem with flashback and the reason it is kept for limited use is that it disrupts the story flow. In film, we are trapped into the disruption, unless we control the remote and skip ahead. In a book, we can skip it or skim it, although we rarely do. Flashback used to present ordinary world information becomes info dump, which is always to be avoided. How do we write an ordinary world start to our story without turning it into info dump? Many long-term professional writers advise starting a story at the first onset of trouble. However, we need to set up how that onset came in as trouble. So find the moment right before the onset of trouble. Immediately before, bare seconds, dribble anything that doesn't fit into stage one in its sequel into later scenes. Build the ordinary world with the Latin seven. Who is here? The protagonist, of course. The actual question should be, who else is here? Any primaries? Are the primaries allies? How will the antagonist enter this scene? Who else is needed? What is the sacrifice for the protagonist? What person, thing, object, place, idea? What thing needs destruction in order to start the protagonist on the journey? How is that thing cherished by the protagonist? The destruction, which is stage two, call to adventure, is an explosion, literal and figurative. Our job in the ordinary world is to start rolling toward that destruction. For example, if the destruction is the revelation of a lie, what dream will the lie destroy? That dream becomes the protagonist's ordinary world focus. The cherished thing to be sacrificed should be so strong that the antagonist can't just turn away. Why is the cherished thing so dear? Know the reason. It may not be written into stage one. Readers should certainly encounter it by the end of the third stage. For us writers, we have to know that answer now. How will the sacrifice occur? Writers also need an early knowledge of how. Then we foreshadow the cherished thing that we plan to destroy. By whose aid? This is a two-sided question. First, the sacrifice needs to be important to the protagonist and another, one or more. This increases the need for the protagonist to start the difficulty, hero's journey. Whether the genre is contemporary mainstream, historical romance, fantasy adventure, or another one, the destruction of the sacrifice should shock more than the protagonist. Second, the other side of by whose aid focuses on the participants in the destruction. Know the reason that the antagonist is able to focus on the sacrifice. This may come out at any point in the story, especially if the antagonist has a moment to gloat over the destruction of the cherished dear goal. The antagonist should also know the protagonist well enough to understand how the destruction will hurt the protagonist, and other primaries. Sidestep to a side character. A side element is the character who conveys information about the sacrifice to the antagonist. 
This character needs to be familiar with the protagonist. The degree of this side's perfidy is up to us writers, and the revelation of the perfidy, that is also up to us. When and where the last two of the Latin sevens seem simple. When is the moment when destruction is least expected to occur? A moment of happiness is typical. Wedding, family gathering, holiday celebration. Do try to break the typical. Pick an ordinary moment. Driving home, going to a restaurant, Saturday errands. Where should be a place of security for the protagonist? Then the sacrifice of the cherished deer becomes even greater, for security is sacrificed as well. Just as with the wind, the destruction's occurrence in an ordinary place destroys the semblance of security. Start the story. Begin with the end in mind, Stephen Covey said in his Seventh Habits of Highly Effective People. As it works in business, so it works in story. Writers should start by knowing where the story is going so we can lay traps for our protagonist. And our first traps start in the ordinary world. Stage 2. Call to Adventure. Destroy the Deer. Here's a guiding quotation from Charles Bowen, Lord Bowen. The rain, it raineth on the just, but also on the unjust fellow, but chiefly on the just because the unjust stole the just umbrella. The second stage is the call to adventure, our C2A. In this stage, we writers get to be cruel. We are going to sacrifice, as mercilessly as possible, the cherished deer that the protagonist clings to. That deer can be a person, place, thing, object, or idea. For the destruction, we writers must know the Latin seven, who and what, by whose aid, why and how, and when and where. We mapped this information before we wrote The Ordinary World. Now all we need to do is write The Ordinary World and the call to adventure with its destruction, right? Not quite. We do have the bulk of our work done. A couple of other considerations still dangle before us. Our first consideration the protagonist is reactive in the call to adventure. The contented existence of the ordinary world is being destroyed. The protagonist has no control in this stage. We can increase the angst for our primary characters when we give the protagonist a small measure of control, then take it away. The angst increases when that tiny ounce of control is protecting the cherished deer. If the protagonist protected the deer, thought it was safe while they went to protect some other thing, or went to confront the antagonist, and then we writers destroy the deer, the angst triples in shock value. No one likes to lose control. Most people's difficulties with flying arise from that loss of control. We control nothing on an airplane, not boarding, not seating, not stowing our carry-ons, not our checked baggage, not encounters with our fellow travelers, not the air conditioning or the heat, not the filtering of the air, not the cleanliness of our seats, our blankets, our dining tray, not takeoff and not landing, and certainly not debarking. 
The protagonist's loss of control could be emotional, yet it will have more effect upon the audience when they avoid hysterics and only lose physical control of the environment or safety, or the intellectual ability to choose, ability to act, and ability to concentrate. The action-adventure genre provides the clearest reading of this stage of the hero's journey. However, virtually every story follows this archetypal structure. Our second consideration of the call to adventure. Consider Maslow's hierarchy of needs. At the bottom rung, survival needs. Next above that, security. Then belonging. Then esteem. And then altruism. On which of the five levels does our protagonist land in while in the ordinary world stage? Most of us operate at esteem or belonging. These are most important to the majority of people. Few people ever achieve altruism. We're too inherently selfish. When we destroy the deer, will the protagonist drop to a lower rung? And which rung? Let's examine Taken as our example. Taken presents a near-perfect call to adventure. For the ordinary world, the protagonist is with his daughter, his cherished deer. We see his relationship with her an atypical view of a father not giving his daughter the best gift. We see his allies in his all-important skill set, and we see how his attempt to control the safety of his daughter is undermined by his ex-wife. While he manages to maintain a modicum of control, it is further undermined when he realizes his ex-wife and daughter have lied to him about the daughter's trip. The daughter and her friend will be in multiple cities not just one. In the call to adventure, the antagonist is already in motion. This stage starts innocently enough with a phone call. Then the true antagonists arrive. First, we see the danger to the friend, reported by the daughter to the protagonist. He knows no secure place is available for his daughter to hide from these abductors. Thus, he tells her the truth. She will be taken. Her role now is to give him as much evidence as possible so he can track the abductors. This reveals quite a good bit about his relationship with his daughter. He has taught her about dangers, and she obeys him even as she is terrified. For a brief moment, we the audience are fooled that the daughter will be safe. Then our wishful blindness is ripped away. The protagonist's negotiation with the abductor restores a semblance of control but it is only a semblance. He is thousands of miles away. He has very little evidence to work with. As a final affront, the antagonist crushes the daughter's cell phone under his heel. From the esteem level, our protagonist drops down to safety concerns for his daughter. The security needs of Maslow's. As the story rolls, he does drop further to survival briefly. By the end, he is back to intrinsic esteem. The transformation needed was not his, but his daughter's and his ex-wife's, to value what they had previously despised. The destruction of his deer is never achieved, although we see several mirrors of it. The friend, other young women who also were abducted, young women who weren't rescued, the one young woman he rescues by mistake, but who gives him necessary information. The destruction comes so close that the audience's adrenaline shoots up 
and never really drops down until the very end. Three more takes on Dear Destruction. Here's horror genre fused with action adventure. Thing Koontz does the same thing in his 2005 Velocity, pitting a young woman against a twisted serial killer. Once the call to adventure occurs, the reader is on a plummeting ride. Our protagonist holds her friend's life dear. When she realizes the friend's entire family is murdered, she braves herself to climb into the killer's RV to save her friend. Unfortunately, her own safety is destroyed when she is trapped. Satire fused with romance. In Jane Austen's Persuasion, the deer was sacrificed long before the start of this story. It is the return of the deer that presents the call to adventure as well as the obstacle that will have the deer's reacquisition nearly impossible. The loss of Captain, formerly Lieutenant Frederick Wentworth, left Anne Elliot shattered. She has rebuilt the semblance of an existence. When she re-encounters Frederick, she must clutch a chair to stay upright. Her unexpressed pain is so great, even her self-absorbed sister notices Anne's pallor before the sister's egocentrism recenters itself. Tragedy. Shakespeare's Macbeth holds the kingship as the dear thing. To achieve it, Macbeth must sacrifice his honor and accept kin-killing and king-killing, all in Act One. The kingship is something he has always wanted. However, his cousin Duncan is king and is doing a decent job. Macbeth knows that he is a better warrior than his cousin. He just won the battle that defeated the great traitor to his cousin the king. He knows that he has the respect of other thanes and fighters. Without Macbeth, the battle would have been lost. Only the sequence of birth prevented the crown from coming to him. Act two begins with his refusal of the call to adventure, thus the importance of Lady Macbeth and her control over his physical and emotional desires. Reap the rewards of the destruction. We writers need to set up the emotional connection of the protagonist to the deer in the ordinary world. Then, in the call to adventure, we must remove the protagonist's control and have her or him too shocked to do more than react. Then we must hurt our darlings. Never hesitate to destroy the deer. Our readers will thank us. What do writers want to know about plot? What do writers need to know about plot? The right focus is taking a comprehensive view of plot, the structure that develops characters, genre expectations, major story structures, pacing, tension, suspense. We cover it all in this series entitled Discovering Your Plot from M.A. Lee's Godbook of the Same Name. Writers will discover unexpected insights and methods that deepen their understanding of this major craft in the storytelling world. Thanks for listening to The Right Focus, a podcast for writers at all levels, hosted by Emma Lee from Writers Inc. Books, assisted by Renee Black and Edie Runes. Our focus is productivity, 
process, craft, and tools. Music is licensed through Audio Jungle called Background Music Loop. Its creator is Alexander Polishchuk, known on Audio Jungle as Plastic 3. The music comes in different iterations. Show notes and resource links for this and other episodes can be found at therightfocus.blogspot.com. Write to us at winkbooks at aol.com when you have questions, comments, and speculations. We will try to answer you as quickly as possible. By the way, we will not mind your email address. That's rude. If you find value in our content, share with your writing friends or write a review. We're small beans here without the advertising budget of the big peeps, and you can make a difference. And whatever occurs, right on.